The reading is Acts chapter 22, which can be found on page 1119. It's beginning at verse 1. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up the Lord said to me, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus, because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, Leave Jerusalem immediately, because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. Our text this morning is 1 Corinthians 1 verse 1, and you'll see why we had the reading from Acts 22 when I read this verse to you. We're going to learn three things from this verse and try and unpick them uh, together, and uh, hopefully that will be a great introduction to the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Uh, Before we uh, get into it, I'm going to read the verse and then pray. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. (laughs) Thanks be to God. (laughs) Father, we thank you for your wonderful word, and we pray that today you'll illuminate it to us, inspire us, and equip us for living that is worthy of the name of Jesus. In his precious name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to suggest that there are three things you can learn from that wonderful reading I've just given you. Uh, The first is that this book is written by someone whose name is Paul, but... That wasn't his original name. 
And the second thing is that the man called Paul was an apostle of Christ Jesus. But he wasn't an original apostle. And the third thing we learn is that he says that he was called by the will of God. But wasn't it more of a conversion than just a calling? So we're going to get into the history a bit to work out what sort of person we're dealing with as the author of First and Second Corinthians and the book of Romans that we're studying in our other podcasts on Sunday. So firstly then, what's in a name? This man, Paul. There are lots of bad names that have been given through history, haven't there? I came across a little list of uh, girls' names that were terrible. Uh, Robin Banks, Emerald Stone, Teresa Green, Nora Bone was a particular favorite of mine. I'm a kettle. Disaster. <laughs> Hazel Nutt. You're beginning to get the hang of this now. Daisy Chain. Uh, this is a good one. Pearl E. White. And Annette Curtin. <laughs> it's not just uh, girls who come across with terrible parents, though. Uh, some of the chaps have as well. Justin Case. Uh, those of you uh, who use heads and shoulders might like Dandruff, uh, Seymour Leg for the, uh, the Nikki among you, Sean Head, <laughs> right wing group, uh, Doug Graves, The Undertaker, uh, Justin Tune, <laughs> the clarinetist, uh, Loud and Clear, Morris Minor, that's unfortunate when the uh, cars came out, and I particularly like Artie Choke. <laughs> There are many names that have been given through history which are uh, inappropriate or just downright funny. Paul's name means small, and it turns out it's a very uh, appropriate name for him. Um, We we find out um, from uh, something called the Acts of Paul, an apocryphal text, uh, this description of Paul. It's one of the earliest ones we have about him from outside the Bible. It says this, a certain man named Onesphorus, when he heard that Paul had come to Iconium, went out with his children, Simeus and Zeno, and his wife, Lectra, to meet him, that he might receive him into his house. For Titus had told him what manner of man Paul was in appearance, for he had not seen him in the flesh, but only in the spirit. He hadn't been on his Facebook profile, so he didn't know what to expect. And when he came to the king's highway that leadeth into Lystra, and stood expecting him, and looked upon him that came according to the description of Titus. And he saw Paul coming, a man of, what do you think he looks like? This is his description. A man of little stature, thin-haired upon the head, crooked in the legs, of good state of body, with eyebrows joining, and nose somewhat hooked, (laughs) full of grace, for sometimes he appeared like a man, and sometimes he had the face of an angel. I don't know if in the ancient uh, Near East that was a flattering description of someone. The bit about looking like an angel was pretty wonderful. But the rest of it doesn't fit our general description of, uh, of what a, a great-looking chap looks like. We have quite a conventional sense of what it is, and some of it's sheerly about height. A, a 2004 study in, this, in the United States reported, reported in the Business Insider UK clocked that your financial earning power is correlated directly to your height, to the degree that if you're six foot tall, you can earn over 30 years 
$166,000 more than someone five foot five. And this works for both female and male people, the height differential and earnings. Paul, describing himself as Paul, the name change to Paul, probably fit his description well. But it's also a name of, uh, of some humility. What was his original name? Well, his, his original name was Saul. Um, Saul in the Old Testament was a man of great stature, head and shoulders above other people. It was a great biblical name. He was the man picked to be king. It was a totally kosher name. Saul, as king, was a heroic, tragic figure, absolutely, but head and shoulders above the rest of his peers when Samuel uh, called him. Sadly, he did get caught up in his own importance and let other people down. But it was a name that could conjure up images of a historical giant of a man. And Paul chooses the name Small instead of Saul. And what, what was he thinking? Well, there are three possible reasons, and you can decide for yourselves. Uh, on the one hand, it could just be that this was his, his Gentile name, his non-Jewish name. And it was the easiest one to use when abroad, traveling around different places. Uh, on, on the other hand, it could be that he was actually saying, look, actually, I'm, I'm just Paul. <laughs> I, I'm of very little importance. Uh, Jesus is what's important now. Don't look at me. Look at him. And, and thirdly, it might be that he just wanted to say, look, something really different has happened in my life. I was at college with uh, someone who uh, uh, was a hellraiser as a, as a kid at Eton College. I got kicked out of there. Um, and eventually became a vicar um, when life had got that bad. <laughs> but he, when he was converted in a Pentecostal church, he changed his name to Ravi Holy, uh, which, if you say it quickly enough, could be one of our original list of names, Ravioli. <laughs> Ravi Holy. Um, I've got another friend who's recalled herself Esther when she became a Christian because she had a sense that she had become one of God's princesses. One person calling himself Holy, one person calling himself a princess, and, and Paul here calling himself small, of no real importance. Um, so, so, okay, so he's got a new name. He's not called Saul anymore. He's called Paul. Maybe, it, maybe he's trying to say, I'm nothing. Maybe he wants to say a radical change has come. Maybe he's just trying to fit in with the natives as he goes around. Um, but, but he says he's an apostle of Christ Jesus. What, what, what's that all about? What does an apostle mean? I'm sure uh, the learned theologian in the front row will know that um, apostle means someone who's sent. A bit like a postman, you know, someone sent on a journey, a herald, a messenger. Um, if I ask Dennis to go and do an assembly at a school down the way, he's apostolically going. He's been sent on a journey and is doing an apostolic commission. But in the scriptures, it has technical meanings as well. And I can think of seven different ways apostles used in the New Testament. You may think of more. Uh, the first one, the most important one, is Jesus himself. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, he's described as our apostle and high priest. Makes sense, doesn't it? He was sent to us from heaven to earth to show us the way, as the song goes. So Jesus, the great apostle. But it can also just a bit like the example with Dennis, mean anyone who's sent on a mission. This includes Andronicus and a woman called Junia in Romans 16, verse 7. Uh, Barnabas, Paul's friends, could be called an apostle. Uh, he's sent on missionary journeys. And people nowadays often talk about Mary of Magdalena and the other women who saw the empty tomb 
being the apostles of the resurrection, those who were sent to Peter and the others to say, look, he's alive, he's alive. No, it's not an imitation of their accent, that's uh, just me keeping you awake. Um, so, so it could be Jesus, it could be those sent on a mission. But there are also false apostles. We'll see lots of those as we go through Corinthians. People who say they've been sent, but God hasn't sent them. And then I guess what we mainly think of when we think of the apostles is the 12, the 12 disciples who then become the 12 apostles. But even saying the 12 shows us the next category because one of them didn't make it um, past resurrection day, did he? And he was replaced by Matthias, who gets elected as an apostle at the beginning of Acts to replace Judas. And we hear nothing else about him afterwards. He's just like a bit of dice is thrown and he becomes an apostle. Boom. There are two other apostles mentioned in uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, One of them is James, the brother of Jesus, who becomes the great leader of the Jerusalem church. A wonderful character. (laughs) Sometimes he and Paul uh, don't see eye to eye. And then Paul himself. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7, you'll see them both mentioned there. And Paul says that he is the last of all the apostles in this sort of capital A apostle, technical apostles, uh, because Jesus appears to him also as one abnormally born. The apostles, capital A apostles, aren't just people sent on a little journey to tell people about Jesus. They're those who have been charged with the apostolic faith of sharing what is the definitive a truth about Jesus, witnesses of him who have seen him face to face. And, G- and Paul says he is one who sees Jesus face to face as one abnormally born. Um, he, the story is told in Acts three times, once in chapter 9 by the narrator and then twice by Paul himself in chapters 22 and 26. And John Herbert, a historian, said, in all the history of Christianity, no single conversion to Christ carried with it such momentous results to the whole world as that of Saul the persecutor, afterwards Paul the apostle. He becomes an apostle, commissioned to tell the world about Christ. But how does it come about? What was he before? Well, before he was this persecutor. And what happens to him it's dramatic. One moment he's persecuting the church. He's on the road to Damascus, as you may remember. And the next minute he sees a flashing light. He falls off his horse. He hears a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. <laughs> why are you rebelling against me? Why are you hurting me? And he says, who am I hurting? He says, it's Jesus whom you're persecuting. He encounters the living God in that thing. Now, one man is persecuting the church, then he's blinded by this light, and three days later, he's preaching that Jesus is alive. He's gone from persecuting Christ to proclaiming him. It's a ministry that would be marked by suffering, but would expand the church into new areas and people groups, and eventually start to be backed up by a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power through signs, wonders, and miracles. But all the while, in Paul's life, there will be people who question this small, suffering servant for his track record as an enemy of Christ, for being small of stature, for not being one of the originals, and even for suffering too much along the way. (laughs) If God really loved you, why are you getting beaten up so much? 
So how does he become an apostle, capital A apostle of Christ Jesus, and why? And that's our sort of third section, called by the will of God. So we've got Paul, first section, an apostle of Christ Jesus, second section, third section, called by the will of God. And the lovely thing, if you read through the whole New Testament, which I do recommend doing regularly, at least every year, is that Paul tells the story differently as he gets older and wiser. <laughs> Isn't that nice? And imagine um, we have a brand new curate or intern in the church, and, uh, and uh, one of the things they want to let you know is they're definitely not any worse than the previous curate or the current other interns. They want to let you know that they have made the grade. They've got great theology credits and qualifications, and they really have been sent here by God. So they, they let that out in their early letters or in their early sermons. That's just what Paul does in Galatians 2, 6-9. Listen to this. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, he's talking about Peter, James, John, all of the great apostles in Jerusalem. Um, but those who seem to be the leaders, I say this because it makes no difference to me what they were. God does not judge by outward appearances. Those leaders, I say, made no new suggestions to me. <laughs> On the contrary, they saw that God had given me the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he'd given Peter the task of preaching the gospel to the Jews. For by God's power, I was made an apostle to the Gentiles, just as Peter was made apostle to the Jews. James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be the leaders, recognized that God had given me this special task. <laughs> That's Paul a few years into his ministry. Ten years later, in this letter that we're now studying, he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9, I am the least of all the apostles. Time's a funny thing, isn't it? And as you get a bit of perspective on yourself, as you get a bit of perspective on who you are in relation to who God is, and you see how much God values all the people around you that you initially want to assess yourself against, uh, suddenly you go, actually, crikey, I really ain't that much at all, am I? I'm the least of the apostles. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't just end by going under the least of the apostles. In the letter to 1 Timothy, which some people dispute that Paul wrote, but for many reasons I'm convinced that he did, it says this, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Do you see this story? He's gone from, I'm not least of all the apostles, to, I am the least of the apostles, to... I'm the chief of sinners. What a beautiful trajectory over a lifetime. An undefended life. It's not that he's got down on himself. It's not that he's unnecessarily negative about himself. It's not that he's got a bad self-image. It's that he truly understands that gap between God's holiness and our own holiness on our own. And realizes increasingly that it's Jesus who makes the difference. He doesn't need to compete with the people around him anymore. He doesn't need to fight his corner he just needs to lift up the name of Jesus, and then all people can be one to God. You know, sometimes God picks the most unlikely of us 
and only gradually shows us how unlikely it was that he chose us. If he showed us the whole thing in one go, it would overwhelm us. Let me say that again. Sometimes God picks the most unlikely of us and only gradually shows us how unlikely it was that he chose us. He's so kind, isn't he? He just gives you enough of a hint that you need him to begin with. He doesn't point out the massive gaping deficits in our souls and our spirits and our hearts and our minds. Just enough for us to realize that we need a savior. And when we come running to him, he fills the gap. God chose Paul to shine to the world. It was years of hidden training that came together over time to change nations and history through Paul's ministry. So what about you and what about me? I was listening to someone this week um, being asked the question, if you could have dinner with anyone in history, who would it be? Um, Dennis came up with a fantastic um, medley of people, including the uh, current despotic president of North Korea <laughs> and Nicky Gumbel, the evangelist, um, which was sounded like a fantastic dinner party. But, but someone else said, I'd, I'd love to have dinner with Paul um, and, and trade places with him for a day if I could and experience what his conversion was like. Have you ever related to that? It's the, it's the sort of, if only I had this, then I would that sort of thing, you know. If I could be overwhelmed, then I would have more faith. Um, but let's have a think about how similar uh, Paul was before and after his conversion on the Damascus Road. If you think about it, he had the same height. He had the same stature. He had the same mannerisms. He had the same education. He had the same Jewish heritage. He was a Jew. He had the same leadership skills, and frankly, he had the same bolshiness as well. And yet, he's able to describe himself as being a whole new creature. Much that is the same. One key thing that's different. And if you think about when a baby is born into the world, between the last moments in the womb and the first moments that it lives in the world on its own, there's lots of similarity, isn't there? Same size, same limbs, the baby's got the same eyes, the same ears before and after birth. It has the same heritage, it has the same family. But now it's breathing and feeding on its own. It can see the lights. And it's much the same for us with being born again. Understanding the similarity before and afterwards might help us get through the gap of the process that has to happen. It's as much continuity as it is discontinuity. And then there's a long, slow process of growing up in the spiritual as well as in the natural I wonder if you've ever been put off being born again, not just by the, well, now sounds like a cheesy title because of um, what might be seen as bad evangelism, um, but because you worry that it would be too big a step, too soon, too sudden for you. Well, 
if that's the case, I think Paul's story says, don't fear. Because in some ways, Paul's story is one of cooling out of a dark womb into the light. And then slowly, very slowly, seeing more clearly. There's a moment where he comes out of the womb. But there's a long process of change afterwards. So, if God's been knocking on the door of your heart, and you've been waiting for a Damascus Road experience, it might be that the light will come as you allow God to push you out of your comfort zone, out of the womb, and say, look here, I want you to start feeding and breathing and seeing for yourself now. And that might happen in all sorts of ways, but it might just happen as a result of one of our thank you, sorry, please prayers, where you say, thank you for loving me, sorry for my sins, please come into my life. And then gradually start breathing and learning for yourself. Maybe you've spent the last nine months growing in a womb, or 19 years growing in a womb, but you've never started to breathe spiritually for yourself or see clearly for yourself. And Jesus says we, we must, not you should, but you must come out and breathe for yourself. You must be born again. It's the entry requirement for Christian faith. Not much changes. Still the same person, same height, same size, same clothes, same heritage, same mannerisms. Sometimes even the same sin patterns hang around. But change has decisively come and growth is then possible. So if God's calling you today, why not step out as Paul did? Secondly, perhaps you need to be someone who remembers with Paul that we are all small, really. And choosing a name like Paul for yourself, (laughs) rather than the most high or most wonderful or exalted person, might remind you that the less there is of you, the more space there is for God. And maybe myself and you need to Regularly just remember, actually, I'm very little, and it's all about you. May you become more, and I become less, like John the Baptist did. And I think that's what Paul did in his name change. And lastly, I just wonder, with Paul calling himself an apostle, but being one abnormally born, um, and getting all this opposition for his suffering or his stature or his stutter, or whatever it may have been, whether occasionally he might have felt a bit like the imposter in the room. (laughs) Maybe that's why in Galatians he's so bolshy, trying to defend his corner, saying, I'm not less than any of you. I know I'm called. Maybe, just maybe, some of us occasionally feel like, dare to say it, the imposter in the room. (laughs) Do I deserve to be here? If they only knew And actually what we find out is that God's call is irrevocable. And what God has begun, Paul says, I'm persuaded that he is able, that God is able, not me, but God is able to keep that that I've entrusted unto him against that day. So if you ever feel like an imposter in your calling, in what God's given you to do, in your identity as a Christian, then remember that, well, that's pretty normal for most of us. But it doesn't depend on us. It depends on who has called us. 
It's not how well I've lived this out down the last 22 years, but who has given me this title in the first place? Who has signed his name in blood against my name and said, actually, you're mine? So if you're ever feeling like an imposter in what God's called you to do, remember that Paul felt like an imposter too and came through it. Let's pray together, shall we, as we close. Father, we pray that we will really know whose we are. Pray that we might be sent by you on all sorts of wonderful missions. Pray that we might be careful to be less of ourselves and more of you. And pray that wherever we feel weak or imposter-like, that you will remind us that it is you who's called us and not ourselves. And if there's anyone here, Lord, who needs to be born again, to start breathing for themselves, to come into the light. I pray now that you'll give them the grace to pray this prayer. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. I'm sorry for my sins. Please come into my life by the Holy Spirit and make me a new creature. In Jesus' name, amen.